two-week notice podcast. Yo, yo, what up, everyone? You are listening to the two-week notice podcast. My name is Dana Bui. I'm your host. Thanks so much for listening. Come on. And today we have an awesome episode for you. Here's the deal. We got my man Brandon Davis. But before we get into that, I know you guys want to hear about the tour. I've had a few people be like, dude, you got to update us. So here you go. What's, what's today? Today is Tuesday. The 12th of April. I'm currently at Keystone. It's a ski mountain in Colorado. I think the town is named Dillon. And I'm at this really sick hotel. Really beautiful surroundings. Uh, there's like a pool and a hot tub. Right outside my balcony, brah. Beautiful mountains and stuff. I mean, it's the Rockies, dude. Come around. But uh, what did I do first? On Friday, Friday, I flew out to San Francisco from Logan Airport. And I checked into a hotel in Emeryville, which is like just across San Francisco Bay next to Oakland, kid. Then the next day, dude, the tour manager picked me up and I picked up the box truck because I'm driving a box truck for the band The Story So Far. And also supporting us on this U.S. tour. Three really rad bands, so four incredible bands total. So it's The Story So Far, Joyce Manor, Mom Jeans, and Microwave. And man, they're all so rad, dude. So I mean, I'm still getting to know everybody. So I pick up the box truck and like meet these guys. They all seem cool, but um, basically we all just loaded up the truck with all their gear, like drums and guitars, like literally everything that they need to put on the show. And I took off. I drove straight to Salt Lake City, which is probably like 12 hours. Pretty long drive. So then fast forward, dude, Monday night, our first show was in Salt Lake City. And it was so sick, dude. All four bands killed it. And just the hype is already there. And dude, I didn't even realize, shame on me, this dude Sam is in the band Just Friends. I met them a few years ago with, you know, with Pieball. We did a festival with them. I didn't even know he's in mom jeans. So it was really cool to see like a familiar face. He was like, good to see you again. And I was like, oh, shit. So that was that made me happy. Um, These dudes are cool. But, you know, when like I'm the new guy, like nobody knows me. I'm working hard. You know, I mean, that's what I do. Any job that I have, I always try to go above and beyond. I mean, you know, I'm here to work. That being said, like technically the only thing that I'm required to do and paid to do is to drive the box truck from A to B all around the country. But like, dude, when they're loading in and I'm just waiting, I'm going to help them load and unload. You know, it's good to make an impression and. That's the most interaction I have with the band. Like, I want to make friends, too, you know? Come on. Now, I drove last night, dude. This was the most challenging drive I've ever had to do. And believe me, like, I used to drive for work overnight, like, in Maine, in blizzards and shit, right? But this was just on another level. First of all, back in Boston, we don't have chains for our tires. Like, putting chains on your tires in the snow, that's, like, not a thing on the East Coast. Dude, here in the Rocky Mountains, it's serious. The drive I had to do was from Salt Lake City to Keystone Mountain, where I'm at right now, like I said, right? Now, without traffic and without, like, any snow, like, it's about an eight or nine hour drive, maybe, probably closer to nine with stops and shit for, like, gas. But, dude, so, this is an overnight drive. We load up the fucking truck right after the sixth show in Salt Lake City, and the snow starts coming. And it was a storm the entire way. And I'm telling you, like, it's actually, like, law. Like, you're supposed to legally have chains on your tires and um, like, or at least in your car at all times and trucks have to have them on during a storm. It was sketchy as fuck. I mean, there were trucks off the side of the highway, like Mack trucks 
who couldn't make it. You know what I'm saying? But your boy from Boston fucking made it, kid. Took me about 13 hours. It's one of the most dangerous roads in the country. And like, because at a certain point, you're going through the Vail Pass, like Vail Mountain. And dude, it's like 10,266 feet elevation. So the winds are insane. Even on a beautiful day in the summer, it can still be very treacherous. So never mind, you know, a fucking blizzard the whole way. Now today, get this, right? This is a special show. It's a one-off show. We're playing with Ludacris. I want to smoke weed with him so bad. Speaking of which, oh, dude. So you know, it's funny, right? I'm driving, right, from Oakland all the way to Salt Lake City. Now those guys, they took off and they stayed in like Tahoe, which is like maybe halfway in between. They got like an Airbnb. And I was like, like I said, I'm like, I'm just gonna go straight there. You know, just get the drive over with. And as I'm driving, I was just thinking like, these guys don't know me at all. What if I just like took this thing to fucking Mexico with all their like thousands of dollars worth of equipment, right? I would never do that. But I'm like, dude, if I were them, I would have put like a tracker in the truck just to make sure, right? Or what if something happens too, you know what I mean? Just so that they know where their shit is. You never know. So sure enough, dude, like maybe two hours later, a little notification pops up on my phone. I didn't even know this was a thing. It's called like an Apple AirTag. The notification said, your phone recognizes an Apple AirTag that has been traveling with you for several hours now. It shows like whoever's on the other end, someone from the band, I assume, obviously, they can like see where, where I'm going and that's fine. I would do the same exact thing. But then I looked at like the route that I took. It, sh it shows me stopping at the weed store in Sacramento. <laughs> I hope they don't mind. <laughs> but uh, yeah, dude, this is sick. So Brandon Davis, I love this guy. You're gonna hear the story of how Brandon and I ran into one another. Now this guy's just impressive. Uh, he's in a couple of bands. He's in a band called Lions Lions. You're gonna hear a song from that band at the very end. The music, like in between the interlude stuff, is from his other band, In Spirit. Now, I gotta plug my people over at Furnace Fest, all right, people? The Two Week Notice podcast is proudly partnered up with Furnace Fest. The whole lineup has been announced. I don't have it in front of me. I'm traveling. I'll do a better read next time. Hey, the story so far is playing Furnace Fest, Newfound Glory, Mom Jeans. There's a million bands. You've heard me talk about it. Early bird pricing has been extended. Go get on that if you haven't already. Speaking of which, I gotta do my fucking taxes still. Fuck. I'll pass. I just want to smoke weed with Ludacris. Also, the two-week notice podcast is proudly brought to you by Plug Your Holes. www.plugyourholes.com is your one-stop shop for body jewelry, plugs, tunnels, stretchers, and more. All right? For a 15% discount, go to www.plugyourholes.com. A 15% discount off your entire order at the checkout point. Type in the code TWNPOD. That's T-W-N-P-O-D. No spaces. Six letters. Smush it all together. One more thing, how I'm going to lead you into this episode with this hilarious video. Well, it's audio pulled from the video, but it won't matter, trust me. Brandon made this for the whole Will Smith, Chris Rock thing. So Brandon like recorded his guitar and he recorded the drums. He just recorded like himself doing hardcore riffs over the Will Smith thing, and it's hilarious. Go check out his Instagram. He's got an awesome page for videos like that, videos of him playing the drums, um, skate videos. He also owns a skate park. You're going to hear about all this shit. Brandon... You're the man, dude, and uh, I can't wait to see you again in the future. Enjoy this episode. I'm going to go smoke weed with Ludacris, or I'm going to try. Wish me luck. Enjoy. Keep my wife's name out your fucking
<laughs> All right. Today on the podcast, Brandon Davis. Brandon, you play drums in In Spirit as well as Lions Lions. I you... play guitar in Lions Lions, actually. Oh, dude. Drums okay. in In Spirit, guitar in Lions Lions. All right. That is even cooler. I didn't know that, to oh, be honest. Useful information for you. So full disclosure, man, we we met, was it Incendiary? No, it was Comeback Come Kit. Okay. Come back. That weekend, Friday, Saturday night, I saw Incendiary one night, and I saw Comeback Kid the next night. That was at Sonia or the old TT, the Bears in Cambridge. Yep. I mean, I went by myself, and somehow you and I started talking. It's funny. That was an interesting night because I went there by myself as well. And I was at work, and I kind of had forgotten about the show and then sort of remembered last minute. And I work all the way in Providence, so, you know, Providence to Boston depending on traffic, like could be an hour. And I was like, uh, you know what? I think I can still make it. And so I like, I jetted up there. I get to the venue and realized that I was in such a rush that I forgot my wallet. And I just was like, okay, well, I have no money. I have no ID. Let's just, I guess, try it anyway. So I, <laughs> I called one of my buddies that was at the show. Her name's Naz. I called her and I was like, hey, can you just buy me a ticket and I'll cash app you? And then I was like, and I'm just going to try to tell the door guy that hopefully he believes that I'm old enough to be here. Uh, and so I went to the door and I was like, hey, man, like, I don't have anything. And I just like want to see Comeback Kid. And he was like, uh, you don't have an ID? And I was like, no, I left it at my job. I was like, I don't want to hassle you. Like, if you're not allowed to let me in, I completely understand. And then he was like, did you plan on drinking? And I was like, no, actually, I don't drink. And he's like, oh, oh OK, yeah. So you're all set then. And he let me in. And I was so thankful. Nice, dude. Oh, yeah. Well, we just started talking. I don't even know. Somehow we were we just... outside. We were just talking. Like maybe we had a mutual friend out there or something. I just, I know we were chatting. I'm kind of homies with Andrew from Comeback Kid. Maybe that's what it was. Could be too. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually good friends with Andrew as well. It could have easily been... That's probably what it was because I was hanging out with him. I came in, I do drink. So like I immediately took a left to go to the bar and mm -hmm. like Andrew's just standing there by himself. He's been on the podcast. So and we met at Furnace Fest in person. So cool. I don't know. He and I ended up talking for, I don't know, like 45 minutes just shooting the shit. And then he's like, well, I got to go on stage. I was like, well, right. see you later. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. But dude, I got to say, man, that guy, I think is maybe the most electric frontman in the game right now. He's great, dude. He's also just a great person. He's a really good human being you know that makes it better you know yeah most canadians are like way more that's friendly true. than us that's yeah that's the thing it's it's true they are quite polite <laughs> but i remember yeah we were standing outside you and i were talking for a bit do people even get phone numbers anymore i'm always like yo what's your instagram let's be homies you know you know what's interesting is i think social media like is the new phone number like a phone number used to be normal to give out right but now a phone number has become very private you know what i mean that's the last thing that you give out yep. so it's yeah. just so normal in our you know even when you and i were younger like remember it was like myspace like what's your myspace you know it was that like you didn't even give out your phone number then you gave out your myspace you gave out your facebook and now yeah. it's instagram even going back further than that right you make a great point just think about the old records or cds you would buy back in the day like local bands their address and phone number would be on like the insert oh yeah fans used to write letters to bands and like they would get fan mail actual snail mail fan mail i bet you if um if that came up in current times i i think a lot of people would mail physical letters to bands because there were even some tours that i was on in the last 10 years where people would bring 
handwritten letters and give them to like the bands, you know? So they'd probably be hyped to mail it somewhere. Bands should think about that. Little idea. Bands should get P.O. boxes. I think that like at a certain point, that was probably why people stopped putting personal phone numbers and addresses in those yeah. seven inch inserts. Some of the bigger bands did have like a P.O. box though that they would still put in for like the okay. fan mail and stuff. But now I feel like the new version of that, it's cool how accessible some of these bands are. Like how I've got some people on the podcast. I just, I shoot my shot. I'll send an Instagram message and it'll be like, yo man, like I'm a big fan. I happen to tour with the band Piebald, and which gives me some street cred, you know? Of course. And, then, oh, yeah. and then I'm like, yo, like uh, I'd love to talk to you. And oftentimes they don't see it at all. And oftentimes they do. And when they do, they're like, dude, totally. Maybe that's the new version of like fan mail. I mean, a lot of them do go unread, but I'm sure a lot of fan mail went unopened. Oh, I'm sure. Back then with postage and people not knowing how many stamps to put on something, I'm sure certain things never even made it. I picture sure. just like a mountain of like letters. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I feel like, you know, and I, I could be mistaken with, with what band it was. I, I almost feel like it was Metallica, but I, I feel like at some point I remember watching something on like VH1 where they had like a mail room full of stuff and, you know, they would go and like everybody would open a couple every once in a while, but but it was like an abundant, overwhelming amount of, of mail. So obviously it would make sense that they wouldn't get to all of it. Jeez, I never thought of this till right now. Like I do the social media for Piebald, for example. A lot of bands have someone who does that stuff. Back then, like people would just maybe run the fan club. Like they would hire probably the newer version of the person who maybe would open those letters and just like that could be a full-time job in itself if you're the Beatles or Metallica or whatever right of course you remember uh they had street teams in like every city like you'd be part of the street team in like your city and like a group of you would you would get sent promotional materials from the label and then you'd go to like the shows in the area and you'd hand out flyers and like those victory records samplers and stuff like that dude the good old days like I remember you go to a shows back in the day especially if it was like Lansdowne Street right access avalon as yep. soon as those doors open and everyone's coming out of that show there's like maybe a gang of like three or four cats just handing out demo cds dude right oh yeah definitely i like that like that grassroots kind of thing like when piebald was playing uh we did the sinclair in december we were tracking the you know the ticket sales which it was weird times because like covid and shit but like piebald is never not sold out boston so i went old school man i went to staples and i printed up like a bunch of posters and i literally just drove around boston and just i go to like a guitar center because they have like bulletin boards or or just find like a local record store and be like hey can i just put this up on uh you know your bulletin board here they're like piebald fuck yeah i'll put it right in the window you know which was cool but yeah. you know I kind of I went old school, you know what I mean? It yeah. was fun. It, dude, it's you'd be surprised how you know how effective those older strategies still are. Absolutely. All right, Brandon. Well, dude, I want to learn about you, man. You do so many rad things. So in spirit, Lions Lions. You also, I believe, like I don't know if you own it or operate, but you, you got some some skate park. You I know, do. Like- that's uh yeah, that's my that's my main gig. I, I own a indoor skate park. It's it's in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, Lighthouse Skate Park. The name has nothing to do with me or anything. It was, uh, it already had existed and I purchased the business from an individual who owned it before me. So yeah, it's fun, man. Just, you know, people come, they rollerblade, roller skate, skateboard, all kinds of stuff. You can do private rentals. We offer skateboard lessons. We also offer rollerblading lessons and roller skating lessons and all kinds of stuff. I'm even in the process of trying to have live music. And I've been talking to the city of Pawtucket about the permitting process to have live bands play at the skate park uh, legally without 
disturbing, you know, the neighborhood. So, and they've been very friendly and they've been very informative. So I think this actually is something that's going to happen. And I'm very excited about that. Dude, that's amazing. You're like uh, creating your own platform for music. Totally. Yeah. Mixing everything together, you know, it's beautiful. That's old school too. I mean, cause skateboarding and music go hand in hand. Oh yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Wow. That's definitely what I'm trying to do for sure. I think the only time I've been to Pawtucket, is it the Met? Is that in Pawtucket? It is. So it's funny that you bring up the Met. The Met is borderline in walking distance from my skate park. Is that place so, still open? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the thing about the Met is that it's moved around a little bit. I believe like the OG Met was like downtown. I think it was like across the street from what used to be Lupo's. And then even Lupo's, I think, kind of moved around a little bit too. But the Met now in its current state is in Pawtucket. And it's a nice venue. It's actually really, the Met's great. It's a really nice place. Lupo's is called the Strand Ballroom. It yeah, it is called the Strand now. Piebald, we did the Strand a few months ago. Cool. Uh, do you know the Front Bottoms? We opened for them, which was... I'm familiar with the name. I don't know that I've heard them, but I feel like people I'm friends with like that band. So they're probably cool. Dude, they're super cool. That band was so rad. Not only were they just killer musicians, at the end of the show, the Piebald guys, they were like, that might be the best opening slot we've ever had. That's incredible. That's really cool. It's always awesome when you play, you know, when you're, you're, you know, you're not the band, you're not the draw, but then the, the audience is just, they're music lovers, you know, they just want to hear anything. Exactly. And it's, uh, you know, because I've been on, you know, both sides. I've been on that, like where you get to like, wow, they just love anything they hear. And then I play the shows where it's like the, this, it's like the, okay, when is the band, when is the band that we came to see going on? You know what I mean? And it's just kind of like, damn, bro, like just out here trying to play a song for you. Like, like, can you just pretend that you like it or something, you know? <laughs> so, like, damn, you know? So it is what it is. At that point, though, like, go harder, right? Fuck it. That's all that you can really do. Sometimes, you know, it's just a band is a certain genre. And if the other bands playing are not close enough to that, you know, the, the people that are there are like, eh, this isn't for me, which there's no, you know, there's no real harm there, but it's just like, it is tough to play your heart out to a crowd that is legitimately like just not interested. You know what I mean? You're like, all right, well, we just got to do this for each other guys, you know, but Hey, it is what it is. That's why I love the, the story of dashboard confessional, man. I've told it on here a few times. Okay. I've had I've had Chris on here, but so I'll try to make it quick. That dude, he's a hardcore kid, man. So he was doing what you just said as an opening act, but by himself with a, an acoustic guitar, opening right. up for like H2O and like these hardcore bands, jumping on literally every show he possibly can. I mean, he told a story of like opening up for H2O and people like throwing fucking quarters at him. They're like bouncing off his cheekbone, bouncing off his guitar. He tried to cut his set short, Rusty from H2O, and the rest of the dudes were standing there side stage and they're like, what are you doing? Get back out there and finish your set, brother. Like, right. we're here for you. We're going to let our crowd, like, whatever, express how they feel. But we also believe in you. Get back out there. And then he said Rusty made him, like, pick up all the quarters that were thrown at him by the end of the <laughs> set. And he was like, I had laundry money for, like, a month. And then I guess Rusty, wow. like, went out to the dashboard merch table before his set, grabbed a dashboard shirt, threw it on, and then played their set. He, he was like, by the end, I never sold more merch on that tour than, like, that day, you know? Dude, that's awesome. He did, uh, what was it, For the Seems Forever? Yep. Was that? Yeah. You know, which is not a hardcore band, but they're an awesome band. Oh, yeah. To me, that's the definition of like punk, you know, kind of what you were saying, man. Like, but he was by himself. Um, 
and oh, look, yeah. look what it's turned into. I mean, yeah. the guy's well, massive. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it is, it's tough. You know, I'm glad that he stayed out there, you know, to bring it back full circle to Andrew from comeback kid. The reason I know Andrew is because Lions Lions toured with comeback kid. We are very much like a post hardcore band. It's not hardcore. It is very much like uh you know, like a story of the year type of vibe, right? It's not like comeback kid or ignite. It's, it's not like that. So us opening for comeback kid on that tour we got a lot of that like people being like who are these guys like why are they on the show you know what i mean kind of thing and like yo we played anyway and comeback kid is like kind of collectively one of lions lions favorite bands like we everyone in our band likes that band we didn't even care right it's just like some of the shows were cool some of the shows were uh almost the equivalent of the quarters being thrown at us but luckily it didn't get you know escalate to that but dude we became friends with comeback kid we got to have a good time and like you know we just we kept our heads up we stood tall amongst pretentious hardcore kids that are too cool to like our band so i definitely know what that's like you know for sure i don't know if i'll explain this to you but in spirit the members of in spirit we used to be vanna right so when we were vanna in the early 2000s like 2004 whatever we even got a lot of that in boston even at home right again we were not a hardcore band and hardcore is what was cool h2o american nightmare converge you know very cool hardcore bands from boston and then we were like this other thing right like our influences were coming from the chariot and every time i die alexis on fire norma jean he is legend maylene and the sons of disasters that's what we liked. we liked all this metalcore you know haste the day and so we would play shows with actual hardcore bands and it was the same thing we would get heckled called names and it was just sort of like you know we'd play with a band like the acacia strain and like people would just be like who are these like nerdy like kids you know but i will say that over time it did pick up you play that one show and then you you notice like oh oh wow people are singing along you know we got made fun of for a while and then we won we won over like you know the kids and it's like it is a really good feeling it really is and also even just the approval of uh you know that validation from bands that you like no matter what anybody says everybody that plays music it came from somewhere else you heard a band that you liked and then you wanted to be like them you know you wanted to sound like them or at a minimum you know you you want them to like you because you like that right so i mean we would play shows with bands we wanted to be friends with them like we wanted their approval and stuff like that and some of those bands we never got the we never got their approval and then other bands we did you know what i mean like there were certain bands we played with that we looked up to that we were even afraid to talk to and stuff you know and then years down the road you know we end up on like something like warp tour with them and and it's cool to win over win those people's respect that whether they know it or not they inspired us i mean we got to vanna we got to tour with hope's fall and that was like dude we were like yo we're going on tour with hope's fall and like before the tour even started we were just like ah like I, these guys like heavily influenced us we really hope that they're cool and like that they're not like pretentious and like you know that they're gonna like us and dude those guys were so nice to us and it meant it meant so much to us they would watch us play i mean to, to have a band that you you've gone to see like i used to go watch hopes fall at like the upstairs palladium as a fan years down the road i'm now on tour with them they're watching my band play and i'm like this is crazy you know what i mean 
mean? So, you know, it's cool. It's a cool feeling. It's beautiful, man. And there's so many different avenues we could go down, but I'd like to go back and learn about you. What town are you from? Okay, so I actually moved around like quite a bit. So I was born in Boston, like Boston proper, Beth Israel Hospital, as like a baby. Lived in Dorchester for a little bit, lived in Randolph for a little bit. These are towns in Massachusetts to those who don't know. I was actually talking to you about this outside of the club. I did live in Lynn for a little bit. I went to the Ford School. Ford School, my grandfather lived directly across the street from Ford School, which is, it's a really tight street, like small neighborhood, yeah. man. It's the house my dad grew up in. That's my hood, man. That's like literally, well, I was yeah. born and raised in that neighborhood for first 18 years of my life. How old are you? I'm 36. I will be Me 30. too. I'll be 37 in July. You and I could have been in the same class. Oh, like, totally. We easily could have been. I was definitely in Mansfield, Massachusetts from third grade pretty much onward. So it had to have been prior to third grade. Can I ask you why you moved around a lot? Honestly, like my mom just moved me around a lot just through the, the hardships of being a black mom in America. You know what I mean? Like just being a part of poverty. You know, my mom had Section 8 housing. So it's like you go where they accept that. You know, not to get depressing on here, but that's just no, it's the, okay. the truth. You know what I mean? As long so, as you don't mind talking about it. I oh, love... yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. I'm totally cool to talk about anything. Like I'm open book, you know. Was she like a single mom or? Yep. Single mom. So just me. And uh, yeah, we just moved around a lot. Ups and downs. You know how it goes. So I just ended up in a lot of different towns. Uh, you know, sometimes I would stay with my grandmother for a while. Just different kind of things like that. So that's why I moved around a lot. It wasn't like a, by choice. Like my mom wasn't like, let's just move every year. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So yeah, dude, I was everywhere, man. I was like way up there. At one point I was in Ipswich for a little while. And then I was in like some towns that are kind of around south of Boston. Dude, if this is too deep, I'm sorry. I can cut it. Father situation? So I actually, I ended up meeting my dad when I was older. This is a very bizarre story. Basically, my dad didn't think that when my mom was pregnant that I was his kid, right? So he was like, I have no proof that that's my kid. You know, this is the 80s. DNA tests are super expensive. It's kind of just like, and my mom's like, no, bro, it's your kid. I know. I know who I've been with. And he's like, I just don't, I don't believe it, whatever. Right. So obviously that upset my mom because he's essentially calling her a liar. Fast forward. I'm born. I don't know what they did. They must have just done some sort of DNA test or something because then it was like, oh, wait, it's your kid. And at that point, which this is the right thing to do. My dad's like, OK, it's my kid. So like, let's do this. My mom straight up was like, no, nah, it's not your kid. Remember? And he's like, but it is that we've proved it. And she's like, yeah, that's great. She goes, you can see Brandon when Brandon asked to see you. And straight up, I just naturally throughout my life, never asked about him until I was like 14. So say I had asked about him when I was seven, I would have met him when I was seven. Say I had asked about him when I was three, I would have met him when I was three. Say I had asked him about him when I was 30, I would have met him when I was 30. I happened to ask about him when I was 14. That's when I started to be like, so do I have a dad or... And literally my mom, just like a gangster, just like, like no emotion goes, yeah, you have a dad. You want to talk to him? And I was just like, uh, I guess she's like, okay. Goes in her room, comes out with a piece of paper with his number on it. It's like, call him. And then just goes back to like cooking chicken. And I'm like, call him. I pick up this, you know, our landline phone and I dial this number. My mom's name's Lynette. So like a guy answers 
He's like, hello? And I'm like, hey, um, this is Lynette's son? And my dad just goes, oh, you mean my son? And I was just like, I guess. He's like, yeah, what's good, man? Like, how you been? I was like, good. He's like, you trying to hang out? And I was like, I guess. He's like, all right, send me the address. Dude just drives to my house right then and just picks me up and like takes me out and like meets me. And I'm like, what is happening? And I've known him ever since. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, he's been in my life ever since then. Listening to that story, both your parents sound pretty cool, man. They are. <laughs> your mom was clearly ready for that question and your dad was clearly ready for that question you said he said how you been <laughs> yeah he's like how you been like just like how have i been bro <laughs> like what do you oh. mean and it's like and it's like it's crazy because like my dad is highly intelligent does very well for himself and you know what's strange is like i'm not one of those like superstitious people or like i don't just believe random stuff i'm kind of like a skeptic about things but um never having met this guy and being so similar to him was eerie to me because it's not like i could have learned anything from him because i never met him before and my life like mirrored his it was really bizarre at a certain point in my life when i was like probably 13 or like 12, 13, I suddenly just got like really into BMX bikes. I just thought BMX bikes were so sick and I ride BMX. I got super into like Dave Mira and Ryan Nyquist and like all these BMX people. I went to my dad's house. He was digging through like some pictures or whatever. Lo and behold, there's my dad as a kid in BMX bike competitions in like the early 80s and like 70s. And then like even just the humor. How am I exactly like this guy? I even look like him. Like how am I exactly like this guy? guy and I never met him before and he just happens to be my biological father we make the same jokes we say the same stuff we have the same opinions about a lot of things that's normal if you grew up with a guy because then you learn it from him it's so strange it's very very bizarre that's a trip man yeah it is it is it's interesting you're tight with them both till this day yeah 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 they're cool that's great it's, I met my dad too late in life to like view him as like an authority figure you know what I'm saying Sure. Like if he if he tried to like tell me what to do, like I I would laugh. You know what I mean? Like he he never has. So it is it is what it is. You know what I mean? So yeah, he's a cool dude. He's super into like cars and and motorcycles and real estate. Are your parents cool with each other? Yeah, they, they're cordial. There's no like beef. They hadn't seen each other that whole entire 14 years. So like when he showed up, that was the first time they saw each other. I like the way your mom handled that. You know, what's cool too is that I was never like a, an overly emotional kid. Like I wasn't like one of those people that was like bummed that I didn't have a dad. My mom did such a good job raising me and providing for me and keeping me happy that I really didn't need a dad. Like, truthfully, I wasn't like yearning for this like man to like look up to. I wasn't, I was good. You know what I mean? I was doing my own thing. But just out of curiosity, I mean, we all know we got here from two people. So I kind of was like, yo, like, where's that dude at? And that's kind of like what it was. It wasn't like I felt inadequate or that I was missing something. I just was curious. Like it was general curiosity. At some point I was like, oh wait, I probably have a dad. So let me find out. And then another cool aspect of that situation is that he did reach out to my mom throughout the years a few times like trying to be like you like can I see Brandon and she was like did he ask to see you and she and he would be like no and then my mom would be like well then no you know what I mean so it's like keep waiting bro <laughs> like you made this bed you have to sleep in it women are no joke alright women are powerful I don't mess with women I'll tell you right now if there's any advice that you personally and anyone listening to this don't mess with women don't challenge them because you won't win <laughs> 
Who's better than your mother? Right. Nobody. My mom was able to, even through through very, very rough times. I mean, I'm talking about like, my mom was like a hero. Like, I'm not even joking. Like, there were times where we were in like woman shelter, all woman shelter, where you're not even allowed to have men of any age there. My mom would sneak me in and would like sleep on the floor and let me sleep in the bed as a kid. Wait, wait so even like having a little boy wasn't allowed? Oh, yeah. It, yep, nothing. Some of these places were strict, strict, strict. Like, women only. If you have a daughter, it's cool no men of any kind of any size of any age your mom's my hero in a lot of ways and i don't even know her man she's legit what's mom doing now how's she doing shout out lynette she's lynette she's living actually with her mom my grandmother they live in uh foxborough over by the stadium things are good yeah of course yeah they're chilling out there that's great man she clearly did an amazing job i mean hey i appreciate that i'm trying when did you uh start playing drums dude or was that the first instrument you played no guitar was it ties a little bit into the dad thing so middle school i might have either just met my dad or will be have been meeting him soon but anyway i'm going to school in mansfield massachusetts at a middle school called Qualters Middle School. You know, I'm living in like a predominantly white town. So I'm obviously like, you know, just not that I necessarily felt, you know, like I was outcasted or anything, but just naturally the fact that I didn't look like anybody else is just apparent. You know, so it was a thing. And so, you know, you're feeling a little bit like, I hope these people aren't judging me for not looking like them. You know what I mean? So a little bit of weirdness there. But, um, you know, all my friends were like into, not to sound racist, but like from my perspective, they were into white people music. As a kid at home, I listened to what my mom listened to. Erica Badu and Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston and Al Green and like Brian McKnight and R. Kelly before he was canceled. R&B and hip hop, stuff like that. You know, TLC. Usher was like my favorite human being, still is, and Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson easily was the first artist that I liked as a human being, right? So that's what I know is music. Like I hadn't even like heard, I had heard a little bit of metal music because I don't know if you remember this, but when it got really late at night, like two in the morning, the TV would switch to like these like infomercials that played like hair metal and stuff. And like, that's where I first started to like hear that music. I don't even know what the bands are called. The Scorpions or like Nitro or (laughs) whatever. Like these, like, that's like the first like bit of it that I heard. And then it's like at school, I'm like chilling with people that are showing me music that they like. And to be honest, most of it, I really didn't like. And some of it, I would pretend that I liked to fit in. Somebody showed me a band called Silver Chair. And I thought it sounded so bad and then every once in a while somebody would show me something that i did like and metallica was the first one dude i heard i think it's called orion it's an instrumental track off of injustice for all i didn't even know what the sound was like i was like this is sick and i got obsessed with injustice for all and i just kept listening to that record that's what got me into like the sound like the electric guitar sound and then like i liked them so i started like researching everything else that they did master puppets ride the lightning real quick Shout out to Robbie, Robbie Harper, who's calling me right now. Robbie. Robbie Robbie built an amazing structure at my skate park. Him and his girlfriend, Bug. If anybody needs a ramp built, call Robbie or call me or message me and I'll get in touch with Robbie for you. Anyway, some of my friends played, they played guitar. I think I had like borrowed a guitar from somebody, like a cheap guitar. Like someone had, someone had a guitar that I could just borrow. It was like a, it was a Squire Strat. And so I started like, you know, just sort of like playing around with it at home. 
home. And it was hard. And then like the application of trying to like, you know, read chord charts and read music and stuff. My brain does not work like that. I actually learned how to play guitar from listening to Metallica. I would listen to the song and I would find the note until it got there. And I would just keep matching the notes. And then from doing that over and over again, I built the dexterity and the endurance to play the instrument. When I play with other people, they'd be like, oh, it's a G, whatever. I'm like, dude, what friend is it? You know what I mean? Or like, make the, you play it. Let me listen to it. And okay, cool. I got, it. but yeah, it was weird. I really just learned how to play guitar to fit in, but then I started to like it more than they did. I'd go home from school and I would play guitar for hours and hours and hours. So my hands hurt. And I noticed that my friends were not doing this. Some of them would only play when they had lessons. I was broke, couldn't afford lessons. And some of them would just play every once in a while. But like, yo, I would just sit at home and I would just play and I'd play and I'd play and I'd play. And it became really important to me. And I just kept doing that for years. And so that's where guitar kind of came from i went from like metallica to uh damn it by blink 182 i thought that was the coolest riff i had ever heard from blink 182 that led to somebody showing me mxpx and i thought mxpx was so cool they still are <laughs> yeah i somehow got from like mxpx to like coheed and cambria yeah. and then that led to those kind of bands i'm pretty sure i found out about seosin around that time too john keith he's the drummer of boys like girls john is actually the one who showed me seosin and he was like you got to check out this band and he puts on the translating the name ep seosin became one of my favorite bands immediately huge influence borrowed a guitar from somebody i ended up asking my dad for a guitar like my own so this is like when i'm a kid you know like i don't know anything about guitars like my friends didn't tell me anything my dad is like oh i have a guitar at my house that you can just have doesn't know how to play it i don't know where it came from it's like an electric guitar and he gives it to me and then i go to school and i'm like telling my friends i'm like yo so i finally got my own guitar and so i told them i was like i think it's called like a gibson <laughs> And they were like, no, it's not. They're like, bring it over my house. I go over my friend Chris's house. I open up the case and he's like, dude, you really do have a Gibson. I was like, yeah. He's like, dad. His dad's sick at guitar. Runs upstairs and gets his dad. He's like, you gotta come see this thing. And it was a 1985 Gibson SG standard. So this is like, you know, a $2,500 guitar easily. To this day, because I learned how to play on that guitar, I still play SGs. I don't have that one anymore. I had no idea of the monetary value of this instrument. Honestly, I didn't even really like the way it looked. I thought at the time, I kind of thought Stratocasters looked cooler. As I grew into the instrument, I, it became my own. So drums, drums was like a, a high school thing. I became very good friends with a guy named Austin who lived in Foxborough and his friend Jeff. Austin was very charming. He had a lot of confidence and he was very like, he knew he was the man. When you're doing that, and it's not in an arrogant sense, like when you're just genuinely happy with yourself and like, like, I love that. So I just thought he was super cool, but he would be like, you should come over to my house and listen to me play drums. I thought nothing was weird about that. Right. Today I would be like, what? <laughs> right. So, so like he would be like, come over to my house and listen to me play drums. I would go over and he had a headphone split. He would sit on his drum kit and I would sit next to him and he would play along to Meshuggah songs. Now I had never heard Meshuggah before. And so I was like, yo, this is like Metallica, but like on steroids, like this is really cool. I didn't know this really at the time because I didn't play drums yet, but the drum patterns were insane. The stuff 
stuff that Thomas and that band plays is like wild. And Austin was playing it all note for note perfectly as a kid in high school, like just shredding all this stuff. And I became honestly like kind of just fascinated with how good Austin was at drums. And then Austin, oddly enough, he just started educating me on drums for no reason. Like I played guitar, but like he was like, dude, yeah, like I got you. Like you're going to, you're going to know about drums. And he started telling me about all the stuff. And he's like, oh, you got to, uh, you got to listen to this band. He's like, they're called the Red Chord. He's like, there's a guy, his name's Brad. He's the drummer. And he pulled up like a video of Brad playing at the Guitar Center drum off. And I was like, okay, that guy's insane. You know, he introduced me to the Red Chord, which is what led me to knowing about Unearth and like Shadows Fall and Kill Switch. So that's like where I learned about all that stuff. So my initial interest in drums was really just Austin because he was so good. And then he started teaching me little things. And then I ended up just like, getting a drum kit of my own, I ended up keeping my drum kit. I went to a youth group, like a church, like a youth group with uh, some friends. They like didn't have a great drum kit and I had like a pretty okay kit, but I lived in an apartment so I couldn't play it. So I like basically made this arrangement with the youth pastor, who's the man, by the way. Not that there's anything wrong with being religious. I was never religious. I just went to the youth group because it was a place to stay, like to not get in trouble. And I'd play basketball and like, you know, when it was time for like the religious stuff, I would just kind of zone out, you know, and I met a lot of cool people there and I ended up becoming really close with the youth pastor not in a pedophile way and he was the man and we, <laughs> he would let us practice there like I, I started a little band with like my friend Jim who fast forward down the road him and I ended up starting a band together called Therefore I Am which is like a you know turned out to be like a pretty prominent Boston band but we had this little band that we would play and that's where I learned how to play drums I finally had a place where I could practice for hours my first like cool stuff on drums that I learned on my own without like somebody teaching me or Austin was from my to ashes i got really into it but i was really self-conscious about it right because like i thought i was the man on guitar but drums i just always felt and maybe even to this day i just feel like it's, eh, i could do that a little bit better i don't feel like that with guitar with guitar i feel like i'm like one with the instrument but with drums i feel like there's always room for improvement and realistically even on guitar there definitely is always room for improvement as well but i would only play when no one was around so that's kind of how i got into drums and I learned, I taught myself like the foundations of stuff. And it's funny how I even ended up playing in Vanna was like this fluke thing. It really shouldn't have even happened because I didn't even know those guys. Like I moved out of my house, like when I was 16 years old with my mom and I moved in with Jim at his house, at his family's house in Foxborough. He got a bass. And of course, the very first thing that I taught him was Blink-182. And then like, he just got nasty at bass. He just started playing and got really good. And then we started our little youth group band, which was me, him, and some other guys. The, there were a lot of parents involved and stuff with like what we were doing and so like our way of being able to like play and listen to the music that we liked was if it was Christian bands. So it was like Under Oath, Haste the Day, I don't know, Showbread. Like these like, there was Christian music that, that sounded like, you know, Poison the Well and like these are the bands. Beloved? Oh yeah, dude, I, I still like that band to this day. Yeah, Beloved, uh, like all those bands. Emery. I've had Matt from Emery on here. I've had Joe from Beloved on here, the nice. drummer. Dude, Furnace Fest, man. Furnace Fest is put on oh. by Chad Johnson. Chad had Takehold Records, which okay. had Under Oath and bands like that. And eventually tooth and nail kind of bought out take hold bands like beloved came along mxpx is part of that camp and nice. me without you is in that camp they're not christian but that band's awesome oh me without you oh my god please go on yeah so, yeah, so basically like jim and i just kind of like buddied up and we would just do everything together and we were listening to these christian bands and trying to make music like that and then like as time went on and we started getting into the other stuff like all those bands i mentioned like at the drive-in and stuff like that we started another band 
It was called Dyron. So it was me, Jim, and this another very close friend of ours. His name's Chris Fernandez. We played a couple shows and stuff, but it just ended up dissolving. Like the singer, I think, went to do like grown up stuff. Me, Jim, and Chris like really wanted to still like try to do a band. And at that time, that's when we were all getting introduced to the whole drive through thing. So now we have like these influences of like the stuff we talked about with Under Oath and Beloved and May and all these bands. But then now we're like, oh, cool. Like the early November that ended up with us forming what turned into Therefore I Am. Therefore I Am was like, in my eyes, I had felt like we're doing this. We started writing songs and playing out and people were like bobbing their heads. You know what I'm saying? Like prior to this, any band that we played out with, it was like, you know, people were like talking during our, like we were just local bands, right? But with Therefore I Am, the singer of the band, his name's Alex. He was like ahead of us in, in music. He would tell us, okay, we're going to like print our own CDs. We're going to spray paint them. And like he knew how to make stencils. He was like, do it yourself guy. He knew how to make cool art and do cool things. So like he added an element to the band that made it legit. It was like, we took a step beyond printing a CDR. And so we started playing around and then it just, dude, it slowly happened. Like we were, people started to know the words. And I remember it. I remember playing guitar and seeing a lot of people at like a VFW hall singing along. This is 2004. This is happening. Towards the end of the year, Alex, he's the singer of Therefore I Am. And Alex made friends with the guys that that ended up being in Vanna, they didn't play out or anything like that. It was like the drums were programmed. Them seeing us play and people singing along was like making them get the itch. Like, yo, we're trying to do that too, but like we don't have a drummer. And Alex out of nowhere just goes, oh, you guys should have Brandon play drums for you. And they were like, oh, you play drums? Like, cause they knew I play guitar. And I was like, no, what? I don't know what Alex is talking about. He's like, I saw you. My shifts at Shaw's were really early in the morning, but it was so important to me to still be able to practice drums that I would go to our practice space, which was down the road at 5 a.m. when no one was there. And I would play for an hour. I'd play from like five to six and be late for work, whatever. So I didn't know this. Alex had forgotten something in there. So he came to the practice space one day and he opened, he heard someone in there playing drums. He thought it was our drummer. He thought it was a drummer there for him. He cracked open the door and saw that it was me and like stood there for a little bit watching and then closed the door. I never knew about this. And he's like, dude, I saw you at the practice space. You were killing it. And so they didn't have a practice space. We let them use our practice space. And I just practiced with them. Like they had these songs that they had written, played with them and, and they just liked me. And they were like, yeah, dude, you should play drums in the band. It was like this side project called Vanna. And luckily, Therefore I Am had Steam already. So like we would just put Vanna on our show. And then out of nowhere, Epitaph Records called uh, the singer of the band at the time, the singer of Vanna. His name was Joe Braggle. And Joe hung up on him because he thought it was a joke, which by the way, the owner of Epitaph Records is Brett Gerwitz, who is in Bad Religion, okay? You're going to tell me that the guy from Bad Religion somehow got the singer of a random metalcore band and boss, but he did. And he called Joe back and was like, hey, I'm like trying to give your band a career, so you want to not hang up on me? And he was like, oh, shoot, dude, like, I didn't realize this. It was crazy because what ended up happening was... I don't know if you remember this, but on Pure Volume, there were two sections of the front. There was a staff pick section where the people that worked there put their own music that they thought was cool. Mm -hmm. And then there was a, which this is genius for the time, there was a paid area. 
where you could pay them to put your band on the front of this page. And remember back then there was no algorithms or anything. Like if you were on the front of that page, everybody saw it. So it was very valuable. Our friend, Kyle, Kyle Bryant, good guy. He lives out in LA now. Kyle was friends with somebody that worked at Pure Volume. So he made a call in and was like, yo, put my friend Vanna on the front and whoever worked there was like sure and put us in that staff pick section and literally within a day epitaph called us they're like hey we saw you guys improve volume we want to sign your band but we need to send somebody out to come see you first i came up with this like grand scheme i'm like all right i know exactly what we're gonna do we're gonna book our own show we're gonna put therefore i am on it and we're gonna get both bands signed to epitaph so i'm like hyped i'm like i'm getting both my bands signed this is gonna be sick they sent this guy out his name is matt mcgreedy we still know him to this day they flew matt out he meets up with us and watches us play he doesn't care about therefore i am at all and i'm just like damn <laughs> all right and so he takes us out to dinner and it was paid with like the epitaph credit card like yo we were like we felt like we were like jay-z he flies back yeah then they called us and we're like hey so we want to sign your band we're gonna fly you guys out to la i'm playing in both bands and one of them got signed so now there's a conflict so it was awkward. But for me, I was just like, yo, this is what I want to do. Already a dream come true. Oh, yeah. And we got to tour with a lot of bands that we looked up to. We were we really liked that band from first to last. And we went on tour with them oh, yeah, probably yeah. Three, three times, you know? I think we we did one tour. It was like a party, man. It was Vanna, Four Year Strong, and from first to last. And we did like the whole U.S. It was always fun touring with, you know, a band like Four Year Strong because it's like, oh, we know these guys. And we didn't even plan it. It had nothing to do with us knowing each other, right? It was just a coincidence. From first to last, picked the band. You and I were very lucky where we grew up, and I didn't realize that until I got older. The singer of Lions Lions, his name's Josh, he's originally from Reno. He ended up in our band kind of randomly. We toured out there. We played a show with his local band from the area in Reno. Um, and then when we got home, our singer quit. We posted on MySpace that we were looking for a singer. Josh was one of the people that responded. He flew out with a one-way ticket, not even knowing if we were going to accept him. That's so cool. Yeah. I love that. So he gets, he gets out here. All these bands that like we're that I'm personal friends with are bands that he's a fan of. I remember like just seeing the look in his eyes when he's like, wait, you guys all know each other? If any of my gear breaks on stage at a show anywhere in New England, there's going to be five people with another instrument or amp ready to go. And that's actually not normal, which I didn't know until I started touring. Your Instagram account is a really cool one to follow just for skate videos alone. I appreciate you saying that. You're doing uh, stuff, man. You're doing really right. important things. People need that outlet. They need yeah. that spot to skateboard in, in New England uh, in, in the fucking winter. Also, it's very cheap. It's $10 to skate and you're not going to really find that anywhere. Nice. I do that on purpose because like, I don't want, I want people to be able to come and have a good time. You know, most skate parks at a minimum are $15 on average. They're 20. I will say a lot of these places are bigger facilities than me, meaning they have higher bills, meaning they have no choice, but to charge those amounts. But still, I can still say mine's 10 bucks. That's rad. What's it called? Lighthouse. Lighthouse. And that's in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. 10 bucks. Yep. 10 bucks. Come through. Come around. Awesome, dude. Anything else re uh, related to that? Oh, you know what? There is. I'm having an art show at the park on April 23rd. It's from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. And I'm still accepting vendors to be a part of it. Nice. So if anybody's watching this and it comes out before April 23rd, you just email, just email the park, which our email is on our website. And let me know if you want to come and sell some art. Before we get into other plugs, I know In Spirit played the Four Years Strong holiday show. Piebald had the opportunity to do that a few years back. It was us in Incendiary opening for Four Years Strong. And it was still one of my favorite shows ever. And yeah. so you did it 
just a few months ago. How was that? Incredible. We were so honored to be offered the ability or the opportunity rather. We were we were just so honored to be offered that opportunity. We got to play that show. It's always an honor. Lions Lions has played it before in the past. I don't know. It's like a rite of passage in, in Massachusetts. Like if Four Year Strong selects you to play that show, you're somebody. And sometimes Four Year Strong goes the whole year without playing a show and that's the only one they play. So it's like to be invited to the one show that they might play the whole year, it's astounding. It's such a cool thing. And we had such a good time we really did. It was just amazing. Four years strong. I think it's safe to say, man, they, they kind of own that town as far as oh, the scene at this point. Definitely. I mean, dude, um, I don't know if you've seen the, the Sticks and Stones Fest. Pieball's playing that. It's Newfound Glory. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Four years strong. Bay, Bayside, A Lost for Words, The Movie Life, Piebald, Cliff Diver, and I don't know, there's like a bunch of bands that haven't even been announced yet. And to me, that's a dream show. Like, I love all those bands. And um, you also, it was Lions Lions recently played A Lost for Words with my homie uh, Tori from Transit and now Dog Hotel. I put Dog Hotel on a Piebald holiday show. Um, nice. Yeah, so how was that show, dude? It was amazing. So much fun. So, dude, it was just funny how we met at the show. It was organic, man. I didn't know you were in a band. We just happened to be near each other. Yeah. We start talking and walking and talking and at that rad comeback kid show. And I'm like, all right, let's let's be Instagram homies. Fast forward. I'm like, oh, this dude's in like bands, like legitimate. This guy's legit, like as far as a musician. I'm and trying then, to be. And then, and then I had uh, Jake from Four Years Strong on the podcast, and we talked about that holiday show and he was like, oh, yeah, we we just did that. And In Spirit opened. And I was like, oh, you know that guy, Brandon? He's like, of course. And he talked about Vanna. Just all those connections. Oh, yeah, and dude, dude, not even Vanna. Even before Vanna. Therefore I Am was playing hall shows with Four Year Strong in, like, Thompson, Connecticut. For like 20 people. Right. Like, right. we're talking, like, back when, back when Four Year had keyboard. We've known Four Year Strong for ages. Talking to you more recently, and especially... Over the last day, dude, I've been listening to both In Spirit and Lions Lions, and both very different, but both incredible fucking bands. You know, In Spirit's heavier, but awesome, yeah. right? Yeah. And Lions Lions is rad. I mean, tell me what's going on with both those bands, because they're both, because I mean, they, I feel like they both should be bigger than they are. You know how it goes, right? I think, I think every band wishes that their bands were bigger than they are. So it's just, we're at a point in life. I mean, as we talked about earlier, you and I are the same age. It's like, I'm going to be 37 this year. The singer of Lions Lions has a newborn baby. Our other guitar player, his name is Isaac. He works with me at the skate park. And then he also does audio and video full time. And then he has other music projects that he does. Our bass player plays in a full-time touring band called Current. That is from, he does that band full-time. Like they tour the whole world. And then our drummer lives in California. So, I mean, most of the time, if we decide to play randomly, we have to get a fill-in because the expense is to fly him out here. And then I'm running a skate park and then also trying to do In Spirit. So it's like, we don't play often because of life. And then in spirit, one of our guitar players is a full-time tattoo artist. So his name is Nick Adam. Nick is a full-time tattoo artist. We definitely are going to leave his at in here too. Riverside Tattoo. I think it's Cambridge. I mean, it's listed as Boston. Same thing. He's an incredible tattoo artist. We're talking like he's got 100,000 followers on Instagram. He's like the real deal. Amazing tattoo artist. So he does that full-time. He has two kids. Evan, the other guitar player, he plays in the Spill Canvas full-time. Are you familiar with the Spill Canvas? 
course. Of course, man. Yes. Actually, uh, Spill Canvas is on my list to get for the podcast because I know well, the Piebald fans and stuff. You just met somebody in a band with one of those guys. so That's right. They're playing Furnace Fest too, right? They are. So, so um, um, this podcast is actually partnered up with Furnace Fest. They became higher on my list um, because... I can hook that up for you. Yeah, I can That'd at least... Evan, and then Evan, Evan can probably get Nick. I think is a singer's name. Yeah, so Evan plays in the... The Spill Cam is full-time. That's his full-time band. Um, so whenever they tour, he's doing that. Evan also lives in Texas. Our singer of In Spirit, like the lead screamer guy, because Evan actually does the clean singing. Chris also lives in Texas. So they both are in the Austin area. And then Sean does, he has the, like I told you, the furniture thing. I'm running a skate park full-time, so can't really go on tour. But we are doing some some dates. You know, we've, we've made it work. We're doing some dates in May, and we're doing some dates in July. Yeah, tell me about that. What do you got going on in uh, so May and July? There is a band. Sean is part of a trilogy. Him and he has two brothers. So we've got Sean Marquis, who's in In Spirit slash Vanna. Brian Marquis, who actually replaced me, and therefore I am. When I left to play in Vanna full-time, we replaced me with Sean's brother. So it was like we kind of kept it in the family. Kind of cool. Brian went on to become Billie Eilish's tour manager. No Pretty way. crazy, right? He's heard that, that's what he does today. And then the third one is Greg. So Greg is their youngest brother, Greg Marquis. Greg plays in a band called Actor Observer, and they are from the area. So we are taking them and another band called The World, which The World is Maddie from The Lost for Words is their singer. And then I don't know if you remember the hardcore band Hammer Brothers. They're from like, I want to say like New Hampshire or like something somewhere over there. So one of the members of Hammer Bros is in their band. And then one of the guys from Black My Heart is in their band too. So they're like this like super group and they're a hardcore band. So we're taking, we're playing four shows with them. I always love that name, Hammer Bros. Mario. Good band name. So we are playing May 12th at the Sinclair in Cambridge. So that's like the major shout out, right? Like this is a lot of Massachusetts people probably going to listen to this podcast. So come to the show. Big show. Great venue. You can get tickets. I'll put the link in the. Yes. Yes. Link. Hell yeah. Yep. So this is a little tour with all three bands, right? All of these shows are. In Spirit, The World, and Actor Observer. May 12th, Cambridge, Sinclair. May 13th, we're in Hartford, Connecticut at the Webster Theater. May 14th, we're in Brooklyn, New York at a venue called Sovereign. I think it's actually a little newer venue. And then May 15th, Teaneck, New Jersey at a place called Debonair Music Hall. So that's May. And then in July, we're going out with a band called If I Die First as support. The reason we know them is because two of their members used to be in from first to last. Or no, are or are are in from first to last. I think first from first to last is still a band. They're just inactive. Yo, so, if you can hook me up with any one of them too, that'd be fucking Bro. Crazy. You have no idea. I, absolutely. That'd be uh, the, sick. The worst the worst they can say is no. You're right. You're right. Yeah, but please go on. So I, will, I will contact them for you for sure. I'm oh, good friends. Yeah, thanks, man. Go ahead. So yeah, so that's If I Die First is is July 15th through July 27th. I'm not going to list the whole thing. Like We can leave a link to that too. But basically we do Philly, Chicago, Detroit, Toronto, Palladium, actually. So shout out Palladium. July 21st, Upstairs Palladium. That'll be our first Upstairs show. And then we're in Brooklyn at a different venue, not Sovereign. It's called Elsewhere Zone 1. So it's good stuff. Should be, should be fun. We're excited. This, these are our first like runs you know like we haven't done like a we haven't traveled together as this group of people since 2007 so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be cool just to close this out brandon in spirit lions lions 
got the skate park. I am satisfied, man. I'm happy to have been given this opportunity to, to talk, you know. Brandon, this is an honor and a pleasure, sir. You know, I knew when we met at that Comeback Kid show, I was like, this guy's got good energy. I like this guy. I hope I see him or talk to him again soon. So I'm hey, glad we were able to keep I up. seeing that, dude. Yeah, same, same way about you, for sure. I don't know. Hopefully I'll see you at a show soon or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's lots of shows coming up. Hell yeah, man. Respect. All right, bro. All right, let's wrap this one up, baby. Come on. Yes. Brandon Davis, thank you so much, dude. I told you that dude was awesome. Come on. All right, let's close this one out. Hopefully I can keep getting these out while I'm on tour, and I'll keep updating you. I hope you enjoy that part too. I don't know. If you dig this podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already so that you do not miss a single episode in the future. Check that backlog. I've had some killer guests in the past. And if you really want to help me out, and support the show, please do me a huge favor. If you have an iPhone, go to the little purple square, the app that says podcasts, all right? Type in my show, two-week notice podcast. Make sure you subscribe. Scroll all the way down. Give me a five-star written review. It's so helpful. Appreciate it. Thanks. Come on. All right, until next time, I love you all. Peace.
you so unforgiving Yet you never saw it coming from my I'm